to another episode of this some scary shit of course it's your host donnie k today's episode is uh, it's pretty sad and it's kind of fucked up i ain't gonna lie hell all the stories that i read are fucked up but it doesn't matter well it does matter i don't know fuck it let's get into it Alright guys, today's title is called The Boy in the Box. Now there's a few details that I'll go ahead and list out, but a lot of the stuff here with this story is unknown. So nobody really knows who this child is, no birth dates, no parents, nothing. So it's estimated that he was born between 1949 and 1954. Um, he's been unidentified for 65 years now. He died in February 1957. Cause of death was homicide by blunt force trauma. And his body was discovered on February 25th, 1957 in Fox Chase, Philadelphia, United States. So the story starts off with a young hunter who was hunting muskrats set out to check traps near a park just north of Philadelphia in February of 57. He came across a small cardboard box on the ground as he walked through the undergrowth. There lie a naked body of a boy and covered in a checkered blanket, fearing that if he informed the cops about the box, they would seize his traps. The young hunter ignored it and went back to hunting. What the fuck? You know what? That's that's the black definition of I don't even know what you talking about. I ain't see shit. I'm gonna just keep going. But shit, it could have been a reward or something. I would have turned that shit in. First of all, I would have collected my traps and then told the police. Anyway, so next, a college student traveling down the road observed a bunny running alongside the highway a few days later. Knowing that there could possibly be traps in the vicinity, the student, came, the student stopped to ensure the animal was safe. He came upon the box while sifting through the underbush looking for traps. Despite the, despite the fears he had of being confronted by the cops, the student reported the body to them. Good. Good for you. Good for you. Police were hopeful that the youngster, who was between the ages of three and seven, would be identified swiftly because he was so young. Their hopes were dashed, however, when they saw the body. While people would undoubtedly search for a lost youngster who was healthy, well cared for it and clearly loved they were unlikely to search for one who was emaciated filthy and starved regrettably the boy in the box was just that that's jesus so he was already like it seemed like he was already abused and the person whoever did this to him probably was just like oh we can tell nobody's really taking care of him and i can probably get away with it because i'm not gonna get caught nobody's really looking for him which is, like, ultimately fucked up. His hair was matted and pieces of it were still stuck to his body, indicating that it had been chopped 
in between the time period. His body was badly underweight with surgical scars covering his foot, groin, and chin, among other places. Despite his appearance of abandonment, officers fingerprinted him in the hopes of finding a match. Unfortunately, no one did. So it, what if what if somebody killed this boy and took like his organs? Did okay. Over four hundred thousand flyers were passed around in the Philadelphia area and other Pennsylvania communities over the next few years. A forensic facial reconstruction was performed, and all of the posters included a drawing of a smiling young kid. Also, you guys, I will post pictures of this story and this kid up on the Instagram. Be sure to check it out so you guys can get an idea of, you know, what this kid looked like. Um, Flyers were placed in police stations, post offices, and even in envelopes containing gas bills, but no one came forward with any information. The crime scene was examined multiple times, but no leads were found except from some items of children's clothing, all of which led to nowhere. The identity of the youngster is still a mystery, just as it was in 1957. Despite the fact that the case has gone cold, the exposure and interest in it by amateur investigators has led to the development of a few noteworthy theories throughout the years. All right. So like I said, this story is a lot unknown with this story like nobody knows who the boy is the most they can get out of it is just fingerprints and you know dna samples but this is the 50s and there's no technology like we have today back then they can only just go off of pretty much fingerprints and flyers and asking is anybody missing a little boy because if you are we found him but unfortunately He's no longer with us, so we need you to just identify him so we can put it to rest. But there's nothing for this kid, nothing. And it's been, we're going to say 57. It's been, my dad was born in 54. Oh, God, I don't even know how old my dad is. Jesus Christ. So if he was found in 57, he's just a little bit older than my dad. So it's been a long time. Maybe now, like, they... I'm not sure, like, there's nothing to really go off of. They can probably identify him now. But, like, it sounds like this kid was a, an orphan, maybe. And there he had nobody, which still sucks. So here are a couple theories. The first theory was a clairvoyant. If you don't know what a clairvoyant is, somebody who um, can see things that we can't see. So a clairvoyant told a medical examiner's office employee in 1960 that the boy in the box had come from a local foster family. When the police went to the foster home to look for the boy, they discovered blankets similar to the one he had been wrapped in hanging on the clothesline, as well as a bassinet that had been sold in the same box as the boy. The employee speculated that the boy was born to the foster home's director's daughter and that his death was unintentional. Despite the employee's insistence on these details, no link between the boy in the box and the foster family was ever established. It wasn't until over 40 years later that another shocking theory emerged. Hmm. Um, I'm going to look into that. Let's go to theory number two. A woman identified only as M came forward and claimed that the boy had been brought, had been bought by her abusive mother and abused in her home for several years. 
M stated that her mother had punished the youngster by bashing his head against the wall after he vomited up his baked bean meal. Baked bean meal, like... This is probably a baked bean casserole. He like, that shit nasty as fuck. Then she tried to bathe him and he died as a result. You tried to bathe him and he died? No, girl, you tried to drown him and he died. The authorities first followed this line since the boy's stomach was baked bean, had baked bean remnants and his fingers seemed to be water wrinkled. Both of those pieces of information were never released to the public. M's description of the boy as a small child with long hair further encouraged them. And this corroborated their belief that he had recently had his hair cut, as well as an earlier witness account from a man who claimed to have seen the youngster being placed in a box near the woods. Unfortunately, because authorities were able to corro- were unable to corroborate M's assertions, the notion was pre- subsequent- subsequently left alone. Ugh. They discovered M had a history of severe mental illness after digging into his past. When the neighbors asked and friends asked when the when they asked the neighbors and friends to verify her statements, they all denied ever seeing a youngster in the house. Eventually, the theory was regarded as "quote unquote" stupid. Several more explanations have been proposed over the years, but they have all been disproved in the end. The riddle of the boy in the box appears to be unsolvable, and America's unknown child may remain that way indefinitely. Um, he is buried in a potter's field. So in 1998, they excavated his body for the purpose of extracting DNA from the enamel of a tooth. Um, he's buried in Ivy Hill Cemetery in Cedarbrook, Philadelphia, and it was donated in a they donated a big plot for his reburial. Um, the son of a guy who buried the boy in 1957 donated the coffin, a monument, and the burial service. The reburial grew a large, drew a large crowd and received extensive media coverage. A big headstone reads, America's Unknown Child on the Gravesite. And flowers and toy animals are placed on the tomb by city residents. Okay, so I did some more digging and... Back going back to where they said forty years later they thought they came across something else. So that was in nineteen ninety eight there was a police lieutenant named Tom Augustine. At the time he was in charge of the investigation. And him and several members of the Vidoc Society, which is a group of retired policemen and profilers, they interviewed the foster father and the stepdaughter and the foster father and the stepdaughter were married. And of course, unfortunately, they didn't find anything. So they ended up closing that. So there wasn't really much to that. Um, but honestly, these theories give so much because it's like, I feel like they should really look more into it. And I see that the fact that they use like a psychic to try to um, figure out what's going on with this case you know those can be dodgy those can be really tricky to deal with because you never know if you're dealing with like a real psychic or somebody who's just you know trying to get your money but um I hope that now like they can use more DNA like the the, the take the, the technology that we have today to you know 
figure out this, but I uh, there's another one more theory, one more theory, one more theory. So there was a forensic artist named Frank Bender, and he thought that the victim was raised as a girl. Like, not thought, but like, um, he put the idea out that maybe he was raised, maybe this child was raised as a girl. And he thought of that situation because of the child's poor haircut, which appeared to have been done in a hurry, as well as the appearance of the brows being styled. So meaning like, oh, maybe like an eyebrow wax. And Bender also said that a sketch will also gave a sketch of the unnamed youngster with long hair in 2008. And it matched the strands found on the body. In 2016, two writers, one from L.A. and one from New Jersey, they said that they believed that they found a potential identity from Memphis, Tennessee, and asked that DNA be compared between the Tennessee family and the child. And this lead was originally discovered by a Philadelphia man and was like put together and presented with the help of uh, one of the writers to the Philadelphia PD and the Vidoc Society in early 2013. So this was like three years in the making. So in uh, December 2013, one of the writers became aware of the lead and agreed to help the man from Philly and one of the writers to bring or to get the DNA from this particular family in 2014, January 2014. So they did all this and went through the DNA but they ended up not finding a connection. So that was like a bust. So pretty much in the end, um, it looks like, you know, we'll never know like who this boy was. But I am kind of glad that the community came together to give him a, a, a nice burial, a good headstone, a nice plot and a coffin for him to, to rest. But guess what? Whoever did this to this boy, I hope he hunts your ass straight to hell. Because no child deserves that. I've all you know, I don't want to put politics in it, but I always said that, you know, folks don't really care about women and kids, to be honest. And um it's it really sucks what happened to this boy and um I pray that he's resting in peace. Next story. All right, guys, we have another nighttime scary story. You're probably going to read this during, well, not read, but hear this during the day. But um, it should give you chills. So this one is similar to like last week's story. Um, it's not like an actual story that somebody experienced, but nighttime story. So this one is titled, Your Gut is Trying to Tell You Something. This is by Reddit user Chaos Has Been Comp. And it's under the Reddit thread or subreddit No Sleep. And it starts off like this Mike and I met about four years ago through a mutual friend. I was so exhausted with the apps by that point, so I jumped at the chance to get to know an attractive and smart guy in person. He and I hit it off and have been together ever since. Last month, we decided to move in together. The timing felt right for both of us, and so the rental search began. Now the city we live in is pretty big, and unfortunately market rates are outrageous. He and I have run into issues finding something in our ideal budget. Neither neither of us can justify the going rate for most one- to two-bedroom places. 
Most of our friends live near the city and our goal was to do the same, but we are flexible and could compromise for the right property. When Mike found a three-story townhouse under market value and within reasonable proximity to our social stratosphere, we both of course thought it was too good to be true. This has got to be a scam. No way this is a legitimate rental. Mike mused while scratching his forehead. He and I were curled up in my bed, snacks everywhere, combing through any promising listing online. I leaned over and commented with the same level of skepticism. Yeah, 1300 for an entire house? What does it say? Two bedrooms, one bathroom? Three bedrooms, two bathrooms, Mike said. Ha, huh, you're right, I responded. Now, after combing through so many rental listings, you start to develop an eye for the bullshit. Any listing with erratic grammar and punctuation is a no. Any listing that requires proof of ID be texted to the owner before you can even see the place is a no. And any post with neon text and phone numbers plastered across the pictures is a no. Basically, anything on Craigslist. But we were on Rentler, and so far the post seemed legit. Pictures were nice and clear. Summary had proper sentence structure and a valid email and contact number for Crystal, the realtor slash owner. Where is it? I asked. Mike zoomed out of, on the listing map. Oh, looks maybe 15 minutes away from Steve and Mackenzie, our friends. After laughing about it for a minute and moving on in our search, we eventually circled back. I mean, it couldn't hurt just to get more information, right? So Mike texted, texted Crystal to set up an appointment. Crystal responded within 20 minutes and gave us a couple times in days that would work for her. I asked Mike to confirm the price in the listing and asked about our other utility, asked about other utilities, this deposit, etc. to make sure we truly understood the cost in case Crystal accidentally posted the wrong amount. But no, what was in the ad was correct. The day of the viewing came. Mike offered to drive and so on a Wednesday afternoon, we piled into his Honda Civic and set off for the property. He and I lived on the west side of town, about 10 minutes from each other. This property was on the east side, so it took about 30 to 40 minutes to arrive. When we were when we were almost there, I took note of the neighborhood. I hadn't been here before, but it seemed like a regular suburban neighborhood. Lots of houses. Oh, this road here, McClellan Drive. Turn right, turn left. Sorry. I pointed at the street while glancing down at my phone's navigation. We pulled onto an empty residential street. The road continued for a short distance before coming to a dead end. On the right side was a row of five houses with stubby white picket fences. Some driveways looked occupied, but no one was inside. On the left was a tall white fence that ran all the way down to the end. It looked like a gated community with one entrance at the very end of the street. The fence was solid, so I could not see into the community from the street. Google Maps encouraged us forward. We turned into the open entrance and Mike parked a short distance past the gate onto an empty, another empty road. The gated community only consisted of about six townhouses in a row facing us. We turned into basically a development lot. Of the six townhouses, only two looked occupied. The house at the opposite end had one vehicle parked in their driveway, and one house in the middle of the cluster had a giant flag repping Edmonton Oilers. No, we do not live in Edmonton. Our destination was for the, un the end unit closest to us. Strange, no vehicle was parked out front, but the garage was closed. Maybe Crystal parked inside. Seems oddly empty, no? I asked Mike. We arrived precisely at 2 p.m. Yeah, 
eerily empty. Didn't realize this was for a new development. Still, that price is unbeatable, huh? Let me check in with Crystal and see if she's here. Mike pulled out his phone from his pocket and noticed two missing texts from about 15 minutes earlier. Crystal, I am on site. She sent it at 1.37 p.m. Crystal again, feel free to walk in when you get here and holler. I am just putting cookies in the oven. Sent at 1.45 p.m. Guess we can just walk in. Mike looked over at me and could tell I was thinking. While he was checking his phone, I continued to survey the scene. We were parked directly facing the rental unit. We had a clear view of the entire line of townhouses and their windows. Each unit had a basement, main level, and an upper level, and each level had one to two front-facing windows. Strange, the unit we were supposed to tour had curtains or blinds covering every window. I hesitated with my hand on the passenger door. Why would Crystal have all the windows closed on a sunny day when she has potential renters coming by? I squinted at the basement window. Did its curtain just move? Mike agreed. Yeah, that is weird. His phone lit up again and he looked down to read the new text. Crystal. Hey, I see you two just got here. Hope you like chocolate chip cookies. Okay. A little creepy. Did you see her head poke out? He looked at me inquisitively, but my eyes were still fixed on the basement window. I broke my gaze off the house to check my side mirror. From my side, I had a perfect view of the gate behind us. Black bars, and they were tall. I couldn't see a keypad on the exterior, so I wondered if there was a remote control. Crystal must have opened, must have it open during tours. My eyes went back to the house. Oh, there again. Did you see it? I nodded towards the house. My eyes on the basement window. Someone had parted the curtain just for a moment. Someone was watching us. Why were they in the basement? Mike looked directionless at the property, uncertain about what I was referring to. My stomach was starting to twist. I didn't like this. Mike, I said quietly and calmly, I think we should go. Fortunately, he didn't need much convincing, and he nodded. Before he could shift into reverse, his phone lit up once more. New text from Crystal. Crystal, quit being a tease. Crystal, come in. Mike let out a short gasp, threw his phone into the cup holder, and muttered, what the fuck? I felt like I was going to throw up. I heard a low mechanical word somewhere outside and looked back at my side mirror. My eyes grew. All I could muster was a quiet, urgent plea. The gate is closing. Move. Mike sprung into action and he shifted into reverse and backed the fuck out of there in just enough time to clear whatever hell awaited us inside that house. As we sped away from the gated community and down McClellan Drive, I felt bile rising in my throat. The neighbors had come out. Each house, each white picket fence now had an occupant standing behind it. Some men, some women, all staring menacingly at us. They just stood there. I noticed their heads turning towards us in the rearview mirror as we flew by, stares fixed on us. Mike's mutters turned into shouts, what the fuck, what the fuck? We were doing at least 20 over for God knows how long. I could hear his phone vibrating over and over in the cup holder. Mike drove and drove for what felt like eternity. Our only direction was away, far, far away. Eventually, after managing to not vomit all over my lap, I urged him to pull into the nearest grocery store. We sat in the lot of a Target for who knows how long. When I broke out of my trance, I realized his phone had stopped vibrating. We looked at each other, then down at his phone. Mike picked it up and found not one, 
not two, but seven missed texts from Crystal. Crystal, quit being a tease. Come in. Crystal, I said come in. We're waiting for you. Crystal, we're all here to say hi. We can't wait to meet you. Crystal, we can't wait to meet you in. Meet you. Come in. Come in. Crystal, runners make the skin crawl. Runners make the skin sweat. Crystal, runners make the skin sweet. And for reference, when she said, we can't wait to meet you, come in, come in, meet is spelled M-E-A-T. But the last text made us both sick to our stomach. It was a GPS pin of our current location, the Target parking lot, since seemingly before we even arrived. This location was not planned. It was by chance. We ended up here. We had to keep moving. Before we had the chance to shift into drive, my phone chimed. Mike and I froze. I shakily pulled my phone out of my pocket and looked down at the screen. The bile was rising up my throat again. Unknown. Nowhere to go but here. Included was a picture taken from the exterior of the rental property. The camera pointed at the basement window and the curtains were now parted. Someone was there. Someone with greasy hair and pale skin, with the widest inhuman grin I've ever seen. They were pressed up against the glass as if they were anxiously awaiting something. Someone. Us. Another text. Unknown. Runners make the tastiest treats. Bitch, what the fuck? Okay, I ain't gonna lie. I read this on, I saw this on TikTok. And I was like, wow, this is a good story. And it was like, it's been a week since I, you know, saved it. So, like, reading it again, I'm just like, wait a minute. Like, what the hell? So, this, it's giving, like, um, like, the setup is giving, like, how Cat in the Hat is, how everyone is, like, mono, mono living. Like, everyone comes out at the same time, same kind of house, maybe different colors. Everyone's standing outside on the white picket fence. And then it's giving, like, uh, Get Out. It's giving Get Out vibes. And it's also giving um, What the Fuck vibes. That's a good little story. Um, I hope you guys like it. Um, I don't think I have anything else. I, I can't give any commentary today. Like, I think that's it. So I'm going to end today's show right here. Um, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and IG at Some Scary Shit Pod. No, I ain't shit. For show updates and visuals for today's show. If you're listening on Spotify, don't forget to vote on the poll about today's episode. If you like the show so far, please rate it five stars and give us a review if you like. And you can also donate to the tech fund on Buy Me a Coffee. Remember, if you have a story you want shared or a story you want covered, email the podcast at ts3pod at gmail.com. All right. Stay scared. Bye.